go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, if you would like to, whether it's your digital Bible or if you're old school, that's me, you use your notes. Over the last several weeks, we've kind of been in this mini-series uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and, and we've, we've um, seen everybody that Jesus was the closest to, and they are abandoning him. It's like one at a time. You saw it with Peter, I mean with, um, with Judas. He leaves the group in, to, in order to portray Jesus. Then when the arrest comes, ten of the other disciples, they scatter and flee. And the only one who's left, the only one who's left is Peter. Last week was about the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And really, it set us up as to all, as far as this week is concerned. In fact, if you move back up a little bit, in uh, verse 53, they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance. Say that with me. At a distance. Let's try that again. At a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Peter is following at a distance. But he has not abandoned Jesus where everybody else has. And he and Jesus, they're at the same location. They are at Caiaphas' house. Now in Jerusalem, there was a church that was built where it's believed to be the remains where Jesus' trial took place. It was first built in four. 57 uh, AD. Uh, it went through damage and it went through even times of destruction of the whole place and the building uh, that is there now, uh, it, is, it was built in 1932. It is known as the Church of St. Peter in Galicantu. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The church has four levels and in those lower levels there is this prison uh, or what is believed to be where uh, Jesus was held before his crucifixion. This is, is below in, in, in the house. And um, the only way that you could get into this place was this shaft that you see here. If you were to go to the church itself, you would. there's a little hole in it. Anybody ever been here before, been to the Holy Land? Okay, and so you can look down and you can see this shaft where it's believed Jesus was lowered by ropes. In fact, on the outside is a picture depicting Jesus on the outside. But there's two scenes happening here. It, there's Jesus' scene, and then the other one is going on in the courtyard. And in this place, we go back to the idea of the church of St. Peter and Galicantu, and if you want to know what Galicantu means, it means cock crowed. At the top of this church building, there is a rooster sitting atop a gold rooster on top of this black cross. In the courtyard of this church, there it's depicting this scene. This is supposed to be Peter, and there's a woman. So a crowd back behind, and then a Roman soldier, and then if you look on the top, there is the rooster. 
And it brings us to the conclusion of our chiastic structure. We are to this fulfillment of this denial of Peter, where Jesus had predicted it um, earlier. The only characters in this narrative at this point, it's just a slave girl. There's some bystanders, and there are Peter. But what we learn about all of this, and all of these predictions, and all of these fulfillments, is that people are abandoning Jesus. The last two go together. Peyton, last Sunday, he preached about Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. And actually, these two, the one we're dealing with this week and last week, they're supposed to go together. It's a literary form that Mark uses to make contrast. And, and if you go back and you read it, you'll see that he moves from Jesus to Peter, back to Jesus, and then one last time to Peter, which is what we're discussing here. Because we're supposed to see the contrast as a reader, and we're also supposed to see the contrast of our own personal trials in all of this as well. And so Jerry read for us a moment ago out of verses 66 through 71, and this is just a few hours since Peter had told Jesus emphatically, I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. Even if everyone else does, and he believes they will, he won't. And he's here. And he emphatically denies. After Jesus said, well, let me tell you something. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And he said, oh, no, Lord, I'll die before that happens. Peter did great until the questions came. And it was simply, aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And before our eyes, we see Peter, the rock, he disintegrates into a pile of sand. And we're reminded of the words of Jesus and what he said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's one thing to say, I will follow you to the ends of the earth, but it's another thing when those trials come. Now, surely we understand the temptation of withdrawing if, you know, someone we're close to all of a sudden finds himself in trouble with the law, right? You know, when we're with them privately, we may say, hey, I'm with you all the way. And we are way back, right? Because, you know, we're afraid to be tied into all of this. But what's happening here is worse. It's much worse. Three times Jesus had told Peter in these predictions, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, and he didn't listen. Three times in the garden he said, Peter, you need to stay awake, you need to watch, and you need to pray so that you don't enter into temptation. And it seems to have completely gone over his head. And now here we see three times Peter denies Jesus. The sin, the sin of spiritual boasting and arrogance is what led to his fall. He believed that he was the exception to the rule. He believed that he was stronger than everyone else. And he relied on his own strength and he fell further than those who had run. Later on, 
is the Apostle Paul who will write, Therefore, lest anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Now, we're Americans, and in this country, we really don't deal with the kind of persecution uh, that facing death. You know, we're not usually, you know, sat down and say, okay, listen, you've either got to renounce Jesus, or you're going to be put in jail, or you're going to be executed. But I'm here to tell you that we have trials, and they come, and they will come. And we've got to know whether we're ready to be devoted to the test that is before us. Our denials in our world, it comes in different form. It's usually in the form of being timid, in the form of silence, even to the point of, you know, we don't want to act in such a way that people will think that, you know, I'm a church-going person. Or maybe we, we you know, we, we kind of laugh about things and kind of act like we're with people because we don't want people to think that we're truly loyal to Christ and and we can't participate in certain things because we're just loyal to him. We can blend into the crowd of our Savior's enemies just like Peter did in that courtyard and we many times would rather warm ourselves at a distance and be comfortable than we would to stand with Jesus in the difficult times. And whether we want to admit it or not, our, our world is getting worse. Our country is getting worse as far as, as the perception of Christianity. Some of that, look, we can say we brought on ourselves. Some of that is just people don't want to believe in God and believe in a Savior and that we need Jesus. Just this past week, um, actually it may have been the last week or week and a half, uh, on Twitter, and it, you see things all the time, but there, this one really caught my eye because it kind of was like a, you know, it was like trending. If you, all of you Twitter people, I'm a big computer guy. Um, then, then you may have seen this, and you may have seen, you know, where the vice president and the coronavirus committee, whatever uh, emergency team, they prayed about this situation that's going on in our world and in our country. And this particular guy, he took that and he wrote, Mike Pence and his coronavirus emergency team praying for a solution. We are so screwed. And I know that's crude language, but folks, that's the language. And, and if you went on and you read all the replies, um, you know, you've got people who are just joining in with that and talking about, you know, people who are following after this invisible thing or a fairy tale and all of these kinds of things and, and how angry some people were. And then there were many people on there and they were defending prayer and they were defending the fact that, you know, it doesn't take long to say a prayer. The issue isn't whether this exists or whether it's getting worse. The issue, our concern, is simply this. How will we respond when it happens? When we are in that limelight and we are given an opportunity either to stand with Jesus or not, that's the main concern. We can try to change the world, and the only way we can change that is bringing people to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, Everybody's not going to be like, oh, yes, I need to be saved. This is great. This is good news. Because we've seen all through the centuries that this is just not the case. 
I get a monthly magazine. It's called The Voice of the Martyrs. And it just came in last week, my March issue. And in there, there's this article about a church in China. Let me tell you about this uh, just, just briefly here. We've talked about this before. China is in, is in the top ten of countries that are persecuting Christians. And if you notice right, right below it, right in here, that's India. And just to give a, a plug for next week, we're going to have Lewis with us, one of our missionaries. He's from India. And he and I are going to be up here together, and I'm going to interview him on some things. And one of the things we're going to talk about is persecution in India. They are number 10 on the list of the top 10 most persecuted um, Christians in, in countries. But anyway, every Sunday, this church in China, they have this online meeting. And they get on their computers and they, you know, they are able to see all their faces and they sing and they pray and they listen to the preaching of God's word. And this is considered an illegal church meeting. They refuse to surrender when their Christian faith was put under pressure by the Chinese government. Some of them have been arrested and they have been tortured to the point that some had even considered suicide. There are some who have become too afraid to be associated with the church. In other words, they're to a point of denial. They have no fear of, but this church, what we find is that they have no fear of worldly powers. They emphasize evangelism, <laughs> which is amazing because most of the Christian churches over there, they would rather not do a whole lot of that because they don't want to be on the radar screen of, of the government. But they're just not afraid. And they've spoken out even against social injustices of, of people who, who, have, who have no strength and no influence upon themselves, but they have been treated poorly. And this is even outside of what of Christians and so the government has tried to intimidate them and to force them to close, but the leadership actually prepared the congregation for the fact that they will be persecuted. One of their members was detained for questioning, and after he was released in the next meeting where they were all online and everything else, this is what he said to the group. He says, we will not stop our gathering in the Lord but we are prepared to bear all possible persecutions and costs for our Lord Jesus. To go to jail or to be sentenced or beaten or killed, we are willing to entrust ourselves to God. On December the 9th, 2018, the police raided the church. They shut down their church-operated school, the seminary, and the church itself, which is why they now meet online. They shut, uh, they, uh, they, in three days, they arrested more than 100 church members. And hours before his arrest, one of the elders in this church had sent a letter out to all the other church members. And this is what he says. He praises. He says, thank the Lord. Just as the year 2018 is about to end, God has given us a reward in the form of this large-scale persecution that arrived on December 9th. And then of all things, he quotes Peter. This is a later writing of Peter. 
And he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our trials are going to come. We don't know how they're going to come. We don't know when they're going to come. But rest assured, they're going to come. And we have to decide now how we're going to meet those. Are we going to meet them in faith and in our time of prayer before all of this happens that God would be with us and strengthen us? Or are we going to be a follower of Christ from a distance, warming by the fire? The contrast is glaring in the trial of Jesus and Peter, is it not? Here's Jesus, and even though this is a farce, I mean, he's under this legal trial before the high priest. And here's Peter, and he's having a personal trial, and it's before a servant girl of the high priest. <laughs> you see, one is over here, and Jesus is saying, I am the Christ, the Son of God, the one who will sit at the right hand of power. And the other one says, I don't know who this Christ is, the Son of God. I'm not with him. And, and through it all, if you read the text again, you see that Peter never mentions Jesus' name. Only one time does he say, this man. This man. Peter's example is a warning to disciples. Then and now, and at the time that Mark comes out, the church is already under persecution. Probably some people have already, you know, fallen away. Probably some of them are now just following from a distance. This isn't about going into your workplace and, and saying, you know, or your school or your country club or wherever it is and just going in and demanding people, you better obey Jesus. You know, it's, you may have relationships that you build where you can have these kinds of conversations. But here, in this text, what Mark is showing us, this is about standing when Je with Jesus when those around you are not. Are we going to sit by the comfort of the fire, or are we willing to go into the fire with Jesus? Well, let's look at this last verse here, verse 72. And immediately... The rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. You know, the king of the, of the chicken coop, he rules the roost. If you know anything about chickens, in fact, is Marilyn Yergler here? Get Marilyn Yergler knows all about chickens. Uh, you know, they strut around. They think they're the king of the world. And is it not a fitting symbol? Peter, who arrogantly said, emphatically said, oh no, even though all these others will probably fail you, I will not fail you. I will not deny you. I will die with you. 
computer breaks down and he weeps. And he should. Earlier, Jesus had said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Peter is like the, thorn, uh, the, the, stony ground, the rocky ground of the parable in the sower. And isn't that interesting because Jesus called him a rock. He's the one who, you know, the word has been received with such great joy in the beginning. But then he begins to wilt under the scorching heat of persecution. Peter was the most prominent apostle of Jesus. And yet he is a sinner too, who is in need of God's mercy. He thought, if you go back and read it, he thought he would die with Jesus. But it's Jesus who had to die for him. Back all the way back to chapter 2. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I didn't come for the righteous, or really it should say the self-righteous. He says, I've come for sinners. The gospel of Mark, you don't get anything else. It is a gospel of second, choice, of, of second chances. In just a few days, an angel is going to come to these women who show up at Jesus' tomb. And, and this angel is going to say, you go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. It is the promise of restoration. If Peter could be restored for denying his Lord with curses and swearing then there's hope for us. And the Spirit of God may be absolutely piercing your heart this morning. You feel this burning in your heart because you really take a look and you allow yourself as a reader to read this text and you say to yourself, you know what? I've been denying my Jesus. I like being by a warm fire at a distance. I like being in the courtyard and hanging out with those who are enemies of Jesus. Maybe you've denied Jesus' need to save humanity. Or maybe you denied him making sure or by making sure that other people don't figure out that you're a Christian. You like being at a distance. Or maybe you say, well, you know what, I'm here, and I'm telling you, I am with Jesus. But you deny him by your very life. Titus will later say, they profess to know God, but they deny him. They deny him, how? By their works. And what I say to you is, if there's anything in your heart, anything where you see that, you know what, I've been ashamed of Jesus, then you take that to Christ this morning. 
You seek his mercy. And I promise, I promise you, God loves you. God sees your tears. He sees your repentance. Because it's restoration, not destruction, that our God most wants of us. In fact, let's just, let's just sit on this for just a moment. And let's just allow this text and let ourselves as readers become a part of the story so we can seek our own hearts and find out, is this us? And if you do, just talk to God right now. Just take a little bit. The report of Peter's denial ends abruptly. We don't know what happened to Peter. We're left with a lot of questions. Why didn't he get arrested right after, you know, they figured this out? Where did Peter go? What did he do? We don't know. Because Mark isn't interested in for us just following Mark. I mean, following Peter along the way. He's interested in us as readers to enter that story. He wants us to draw into this denial and because it's a parody. We're to see ourselves before this Jesus who stands before the high priest and makes a confession that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter's tears of remorse, it marks the beginning of restoration. Some of you, you've already made that this morning. I, I don't know who it is or if you've made some kind of prayer as we did just a moment ago, and that's fantastic. Some of you may need, need more, and you just need the prayer of the church. But, but here's the thing. Our God loves every single one of us. And if you're not one of his children, I'm here to tell you, he loves you. Jesus went through this, every bit of this, for you. So that through his death, through his blood, we can be cleansed and washed. And we can be made new. But even as disciples, we don't always do it right. But our God continually seeks restoration. And he says, I'll see you in Galilee. Tell Peter, I'll meet him there. We can help you in any way. Please, let us do so. God, thank you for all the ways that you show uh, that, that restorative uh, nature, your character of, of restoration, of saving us um, and redeeming us out of our brokenness, out of our sinful nature. God, we pray that, um, that stories like Peter's, that we don't just read it and think that's for somebody else, but God, that we read ourselves in the story, that we realize that in so many ways we, we, can, be, we can deny Jesus, we can warm ourselves by the fire, um, we can comfort ourselves, making sure we're comfortable and we're in the right place, at the same time not standing up for Jesus in our place. And Tracy's so right, our denial and our persecution Oftentimes, in our, in our circumstance, it comes in the form of being timid in our faith or being silent completely. So, God, we pray that, that you will give us the courage and the boldness to stand up for what we believe in, for what truth is, for what love looks like. And, God, that we won't be afraid and that we will, um, we will look to support people where we can financially and in prayer, but, God, that we will also stand up for Jesus in our circumstances. God, we're so blessed to be a part of this church community. 
We're so blessed to be um, your creator, your creation. And we have a creator that's good and loving and cares for its creation. God, we pray that uh, whenever we leave this door, that we know we are entering into the mission field. Uh, and God, in that um, we, you are providing us opportunities to stand up for you at the moment. God, help us in these moments as we leave these doors. And we say this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.